Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Neil Haley Show, and I'm excited to welcome to the show actress. We're going to talk horror. That's going to be fun, and we're getting closer up to Halloween, right? I can't yes. believe you're thinking about it. It's not, I hate saying that, but it's true. Suzanne De Laurentiis. Uh, Suzanne, thanks for coming by. How are you? Oh, hi. I'm wonderful, and I'm so thrilled to be here, and I'm so excited to hear you're coming from Pittsburgh, my favorite city. Yes, exactly. We're definitely going to have to put, again, this will be on TV also in Bethel Park and also my Pittsburgh channel, so for TV, not just for radio, nationally syndicated. So let's kind of jump into your acting career and start. How how did it start? Do you always want to be an actor? Is that something you wanted to do? Well, I mean, I'm a producer and director and writer now, and Doing Suzanne Saturday Night Scares is kind of a little bit of a comeback for me. I really haven't been in front of the camera for probably 25 years. Um, so, you know, it's kind of going back and, you know, kind of relearning things that I used to do. But I started out doing on and off Broadway in the early 70s. Um, my cousin was actually Frankie Avalon, who made a huge impression on me. Oh I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I used to go see him when I was a kid growing up and I kind of followed in his footsteps as a singer and actress. And then I uh, worked the nightclub circuit for quite a long time. I actually studied opera at Carnegie Hall. And then wow. in, the, in the early 80s, um, I decided that I wanted to do something that was, you know, I had a little more control over my fate. As you know, being in front of the camera all the time is very hard. You know, you rely on other people to hire you. And I kind of wanted a little more control over my career. So I started writing and then directing and producing and opened my own production company in the mid 80s. And here I am. <laughs> wow. So in that process, when you have act, what, what, so being involved in production, what do you like? You, it looks like you like production better being a producer behind the camera than acting. Or do you, you think, know, yeah. you know, I do now, I can say, um, it's long, grueling hours when you're in front of the camera. You're on set for 17, 18 hours wow. a day with no break. And as I'm getting a bit older, that grind is a little hard for me as opposed to producing and being an executive producer and being more on the business end. Don't get me wrong, I still love the creative part, but that's one of the reasons why my Suzanne Saturday Night Scare show is such a win-win for me because I'm the host. I do maybe six, seven hours a day <laughs> and I'm out of the studio. So um, it's a great fit for me at this point in my career. Yeah. Let, let's go back and you talk about act. So acting first, what roles were your like favorite roles you've done and then we'll talk about them with the production and how you've gone to that to now what we're talking about now mm -hmm. uh, you know that's a good question I did a lot of horror films early in my career uh, kind of the uh, screen queen <laughs> type and I really enjoyed it oddly enough I like musical comedy too but um, I would probably have to say sort of my horror genre career was probably one of my favorites, I think. But like I said, I didn't spend too much time in front of the camera. I pretty much went behind and started producing. So you produced a lot of different interesting stuff then, it sounds like, from that. So, But when, when you were doing horror, who did you, did you get involved, say, because you're from your family's from Pittsburgh, did you get it ever do with the, I guess, the king of horror in Pittsburgh? Did you get involved in any of that stuff? Um, not so much. It was actually my grandparents that lived in Pittsburgh. Oh, okay. I personally didn't live in Pittsburgh. It was mostly my extended family. I moved to South Jersey and grew up more in that area, um, Atlantic City, uh, Cherry Hill, Mount Holly okay. kind of 
um, kind of that area. But I've always been a huge fan of horror. Um, I don't know how old you are, but in the 60s, I would rush home from grade school to turn on Dark Shadows every day at three o'clock. Okay. So I was definitely hooked. Um, I think that pretty much got me really interested and in to have a passion in the horror genre was the Dark Shadow show. Now in production, was a lot of people production horror before you took the break to now when you're doing it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I can tell you, um, producing wise, it's been almost 35 years for me. And we've done a lot of big movies. We actually did a, a, a mafia drama called Tenth and Wolf in Pittsburgh 15 years ago with wow. Giovanni Ribisi and James Marston. And then we've done musical comedy. We, we pr I've pretty much done a little bit of everything, but I always go back to the horror genre because it's one of my favorites. Okay, so let's talk favorite horror. You talked about horror in the 60s. What about horror now? Before, like, let's go into different years, like mm -hmm. 70s, 80s, 90s horror. Because I think this is a perfect re-air when it comes out in October when Halloween comes, because, again, we'll be talking more about your, your project again, because I think it's smart, because that's the perfect time. That's right, for promotion of horror right. is October. But kind of, the, you know, tell me specifically favorites. So 70s. Mm -hmm. What were your favorite horror movies in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and 2000s, I guess, in 2000, if you want to mm -hmm. go that route, because horror has kind of evolved and it's come back. And, you right. know, I have certain favorite horror in the 80s that uh, mm -hmm. it's never been duplicated, I think, right. in certain aspects, but go ahead. Well, I can say the 70s, obviously, The Exorcist, hands down. Oh, yeah. I wasn't even allowed to see it <laughs> when it first came out. But I was a big Hammer House horror fan, loved the Hammer House uh a series of, of horror films, very classic, very old classic. Um, 80s, of course, the Halloweens, you know, were always huge. Um, the 90s, I can say movies like Hostel or um, some of the more, uh, how should I say, kind of over-the-top horror. Um, and then to date, obviously, my, my, my favorite is Coppola's uh, remake of Dracula which was just, I mean, that's my favorite modern day horror film. And of course I love the ring and it's hard for me to say because I just, I just love the genre. So, so I'm, many, into the, I'm into the 80s scream with Friday the 13th, Halloween, mm -hmm. uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it just, so, you know, I think of Jason, Freddie, and yeah. we talk about, you know, just different types of things, even, even scream in a certain way in the nineties. I like that. And so mm -hmm. I think we just lost that in horror. Horror's has gone really either comedic or just mm -hmm. really just not making sense. Right, right. And I think that you're trying to bring back is what do you think in your style of horror are you trying to look at 60s and mm -hmm. and 80s kind of what, what do you say again i really like the 70s late 60s um, early 70s yeah that's really kind of my favorite era where you know we we didn't see people getting their heads chopped off or or their guts pulled out it, it was it was yeah, they really got severe with friday the 13th and, yeah. and, and also there's the real gore that yeah. So you're yeah. more where we think it happened, but we don't even right. like uh, when you think of just different things. And I'm trying to think of the type of horror. More the, more the subtlety of the yes. fear, you know, what's behind the door as opposed to seeing it. So I think, um, you know, look, everybody has different tastes. I'm more of the old fashioned sort of horror classic, you know, genre. That's really my favorite. 
so what makes you so excited about this? Like you're the host, that's the one uh-huh. thing, right? So you're in front of the camera yet behind the camera. So tell us a little bit about the project. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. Well, my friend Lee Turner, he's actually a host of a show called After Hours Cinema. Um, I came up with the idea and then he wrote the show. And, you know, Neil, I wanted to do something a little different. I didn't want it to be where I was poking fun at the movies or, you know, sort of rubber chickens, you know, and believe me, I love those, those horror shows. They're awesome that other hosts do, but I wanted to do something a little different. Um, I'm not really a character on myself. And because I'm a filmmaker and a writer and a producer and a director, I have the utmost respect for anybody who gets a movie off the ground, no matter what it is, because I know what a challenge it is. So with my show, it's more I'm giving information. It's it's more of like, um, kind of like a Turner Classics kind of thing where I'm giving information about the film and different things about the genre. And then at the end, there's a bunch of bloopers, which I guess, you know, my outtakes, which I guess that's the funny part of the show is watching me mess up, uh, but. Yeah, when to do something a little different. <laughs> exactly. And that's the fun thing about uh, doing something that's your own and putting it out there and playing it to your audience. And so, yeah. and you're really addressing and teaching people horror that might mm-hmm. have not understood those type of horror days. So give yeah. us uh, like an example of what we'd see. Um, Well, the first episode is Sisters of Death. The second episode is Messiah of Evil. Uh, My director, Dale Fabregas, and I are probably going to be doing, I believe, uh, Nightmare Castle with Barbara Steele next. I don't want to give away two of the movie, too many of the movies. Don't do it. No, no. Yeah, we kind of want that to be sort of the hook of the show as you don't know what's coming next. But one of the other thrilling things for me about the show is that I get to have these guests on that were either physically in the movie, like they're still with us. Oh, wow. Or someone who was in a movie that was very much of the same genre, like Morgan Fairchild that was on the show. She was, yeah, she was in the original Sorority Sisters. So when we showed Sisters of Death, she was the guest that we had on the show. And that's, and it's fun. And it really brings back the horror people in the 60s and 70s that love now that you bring back. So how have you had, how's your feedback been so far? Oh, it's been great. We've been kind of blowing up on social media um, I've had a lot of great response from people, but of course they're like, oh, when are the uh, what are you doing more episodes? But you know, it was it was a little rough with COVID. We were kind of shut down for a while. So we're hoping to start doing more episodes um sometime this summer. But so and far the response has been really good. I think it definitely has been really, really good. And uh, have you been able to turn someone that's not a 60s, 70s horror fan so far from your show to new people getting and watching? those types of horror movies? Yes, actually, it's been quite wonderful. We're having, I'm getting people that are contacting me and saying that, you know, they're watching it with their dad or, you know, their grandfather was a huge fan of old horror and they're watching the show with them. So I'm hoping to get a younger demographics of audience also. Originally, our demographics were maybe 40 to 75, but we are getting a lot of younger horror fans that are enjoying the show too. All right, fantastic. So, where is the best place we can see it and watch right. it right now? Yeah, go Right now it's on Amazon Prime. It's also on Apple TV in some of the foreign countries. Um, and it'll be going up on more platforms in the next month or so. So that's not, so it, in a way, what makes it different than a regular talk show pod or podcast your show mm-hmm. in a way? Because you show the, the clips. It's almost like in a way a pop-up video in a way right. or a certain thing, you know, we actually show the whole movie. 
we show the whole feature and then we have breaks where I talk about the movie, different facts, fun facts about the movie, and then we have a special guest on. So that's nice. And then you're able yeah. to really educate people and understand mm-hmm. the different things and having the special guests that brings it. But I think that because there's so much ability now with fans and interactivity with social media and stuff, this is a perfect timing for you to do this, Suzanne. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, like I said, I'm very excited and it's really a just a fun and enjoyable show to do compared to the high press structure, uh, high press uh, stress and pressure <laughs> of making movies. Are you going to be way. doing any more other productions? Or um, yeah, and actually, yeah, and actually we just we're in post right now for two horror films that we have coming out, one called Reed's Point and the other one called They Crawl Beneath. So we're finishing those and then we'll go back to Are shooting. Are you staying in your production, the others, into that 60s, 70s, 70s type theme? Or are you going to a different horror? Um, no, I mean, the movies that we're doing now are are modern day, but on my show, we'll pretty much be sticking to movies in the 60s and 70s and possibly in some of the early 80s at some point. And production. So you've not stopped producing. You just keep going. No. (laughs) That was something just, no, I'm not stopping. So so best place to connect with you. Where can we go? Oh, you can go to SSN. um, That's our Instagram. And then just Suzanne Saturday Night Scares on Facebook. Uh, fantastic and your favorite time of the year is, ha- is halloween halloween yes october yay can't wait you yes. can't wait and then there'll be more new episodes out by that point yes i hope so and i think we're going to do an event a big halloween event in october too Hopefully we'll keep our fingers crossed that we can be back in yeah. events and all that because that's so hard on the community it's so hard at people not connecting with each other and you're just doing such a great service to people that love horror and just keep going, okay? Thanks so much, Neil, for having me on the show. Right, I take care. It. You're welcome. Okay. You're listening to the <laughs> Haley Show. I'm watching the Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. Celebrity slots. Free spin. Free to play mobile social slot games in the likeness of your favorite celebrities. Making money. Spin to win celebrity experiences through sweepstakes. Free to download, free to play. Yeah, baby. What are you waiting for? Win meet and greets, celebrity merchandise, gift cards, and more. Download Celebrity Slots today. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Dr. Christopher Hall Show. I'm excited to welcome the program, Dr. Christopher Hall. Dr. Christopher Hall, thank you for your service. Uh, it's great what you do at the emergency room, your book, all these different things. But we have a very inspiring guest and not many people have heard from the champ in a while. And this is why we're here to do this interview. A lot of exciting things coming up, but we want to learn more about him as well. Uh, Dr. Hull, how are you? Wow. Well, I'm doing great, Neil. And I'm very excited, you know, wow, that we, that we have a champion uh, today on the show. So um, very excited. Absolutely introduce our guest, uh, as people are seeing from the TV, but for radio purposes, go ahead and introduce our guest. Wow. Well, no problem. No problem. Well, you know, it's my honor to uh, introduce a uh, former Olympic medalist, a uh, world uh, heavyweight champion in boxing of the world, uh, the only boxer to... Two time. Yeah. Two time. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Champ, the only boxer to hold uh, the uh, titles in all four major sanctioning uh, bodies in boxing. So, wow. I'm just so excited to welcome to the show, Champ uh, Riddick Bo. Welcome to the show, Bo. 
Hey, good to see you. How's everything? Awesome. We're doing fantastic. And already, uh, Dr. Hall, we've already setting up a, a, a pro wrestling match up between uh, Bo and I, because, you know, and Bo, I'm a legitimate 6'10 so, and 300 pounds. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. How tall no, are you? 6'5". Six, 6'5". Five. Six, five. Oh, we got definitely, we're going to have to have this match. The battle I, of heavyweights, man. The battle yeah, of heavyweights. the heavyweights go after it for sure. All right, Dr. Hall, go with your first question for Bo. Well, well, no problem. Well, you know, so excited to have you on show today, uh, Bo. And, uh, you know, just tell us a little bit about kind of like um, where you're from and um, how did you get into boxing? I'm from Brooklyn, New York. And I got into boxing because the teacher put a table about Muhammad Ali one day. And I just fell in love with him. He said, come on, sucker. Come on, sucker. I did a dream. And ever since then, I've been in boxing. Uh, and so did you know that this was something you really wanted to do? So you were a fan of Muhammad's then? Yeah. Well, I was a fan of Muhammad. Let me tell you what happened. There was a bully in class, and he said he liked Joe Frazier better. That was okay with me. But then he said Ali was a faggot. I said, you must be talking about your mama. Oh, my. And we got the fight, man. And when the, after the fight was over, the new champ was born. I was the new champ. And so... He got expelled from the school, and the teacher asked me if, if I wanted to go to a gym. I said, absolutely. I've been in boxing ever since. That's great story so far. Go ahead, Dr. Hall. Next question. Wow, it's just incredible. So um, tell us this, champ. Uh, Bo, tell us a little about what was it like being in the Olympics uh, and uh, winning a medal? Well, you know, emulating Muhammad Ali, I guess it was – for me, being a kid, I really didn't realize what all that really meant. But I was just a kid having fun. And to get a silver medal from my country was the greatest thing in the world for me. Yeah, that's, and that, it feels great, right? It feels like it's something that's so special to represent the United States, isn't it? Absolutely. It's the greatest country in the world, man. And to be a silver medal or a gold medal for my country, and I thought I died and went to heaven. It's great to know that because a lot of times we think of the, the professional story more than the amateur story, for sure. And that's uh, that's a great part. And emulating Muhammad Ali in so many ways. Interesting. All right, Dr. Hall, next question. Yeah. Wow, it's just exciting to have a champ during this time. You know, when we're trying to knock out COVID, we've got our champ here. So, well, uh, you know, tell me if I'm wrong. I mean, I, I, I think that you had 33 knockouts. And, I, you know, what was it like? I think you were the only man who knocked uh, Evander Holyfield out. Uh, tell well, us about uh, that. I was the first guy to knock him out. Well, me and Evander Holyfield used to be sparring partners. And I learned a lot from him. But I guess after I, after we fought each other, I knew one day we, I would have to fight him. But I learned a lot from him. He's a great guy. Actually, we're, we're pretty good friends. You know, he's a good guy. Interesting. Great, great. And I think that that process of knocking people out, let's talk about how you do that, the knock, the make sure you prepare that you're like, this is the time to do the knockout. What did you think Riddick was your, Bo was your like, when to decide I'm going to knock them out? When did you have that feeling? I know it's going to be a knockout. Well, welcome to the ring. I know what I'm, I'm going to do and how I'm going to do it. Now, it's up to my opponent to figure out what I'm trying to do and to capitalize. And if he doesn't do that, he's going to be in big trouble. He gets knocked down fast and early. 
on professional wrestling, Bo, you're not going to be able to do that because I can get it. I can do a lot more in the ring. Than, well, see, you know, I'm gonna surprise you. I know a little bit about wrestling. My brother <laughs> used to love wrestling. Okay. Uh, yeah. I remember Andre Giant, T.J. Strongbow, yeah, Superfly, Jimmy Snooker. See, I knew wrestling before I knew boxing. <laughs> All right. Okay. And again, you're a giant among men, just like me. At, at six foot ten, you're a legitimate six foot five. Do you think that helped a lot in the ring as a heavyweight to be the height you had in your reach? Yeah, I think because um, a lot of guys really couldn't reach me. And if they did reach me, they were in the danger zone where I can hit them with an uppercut or a straight right hand. So I pretty much had the advantage all the way around. All right, Dr. Hall, next question. Oh, yeah, no problem. No problem at all. So, wow. So um, what kind of things, you know, champ, Um, I mean, you know, to be a champion, I mean, you, you, you go through so many things to get to the top. And, you know, lots of young people watching, listening to the show and watching it. And so uh, what would be your advice to these young men out here who want to get to the top of what field they're in? I mean, what, what, what do you think they do? What kind of uh, principles should they have, champ? Well, I guess for the most part, you got to get yourself a good manager and make sure your manager's not a crook. You know I mean? Sometimes you got to get another manager to watch him. But anyway, I think, you know, if you run, do your push-up, your sit-up like you're supposed to, and eat the right things, you should be okay. That's important. Training is such an important Great. thing, Bo, is training, right? The, if you don't prepare yourself, as you said, you were hitting the heavy bag before getting on this interview, that training is such an important thing to prepare yourself for the next event or the next part of life. Absolutely. The running, the, the running, the speed bag, because speed bag, you know, really, it's really for your eyes to see the punches coming and what have you. But if you do this thing you're supposed to, you'll be phenomenal when you when you have to do them. And so, my mother made me promise her that I was gonna I was gonna do this thing right and pay attention, and so that's what I did. Absolutely. As we're, again, we're talking Rick and Riddick Bo here on the Dr. Christopher Hall show and the Neil Haley Network. Uh, Dr. Hall, I think that you also believe how important training is, don't you, Dr. Hall? Definitely. And, you know, training and discipline and hard work and, and certainly listening to, you know, your parents, and just like uh, the champ has said, just like Bo has said, you know, how he listened to his mother. So, yeah, that, that's all very, very important uh, to be successful. Now, now, Bo has some big things coming up, I guess, that we're going to continue to talk about. Potentially, if you think I can make my comeback into the wrestling ring. But we have a lot to talk about today with the champ involving that. So, for Bo, first of all, I hear that you're acting now. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. You know, I wanted to act when I was a little kid watching Bewitch and one of other sitcoms. Um, uh, I just fell in love with, with, with acting, but I just didn't know how to go about telling people I want to act and things of that nature. And if you take you take boxing fans, I was going into the Marine Corps. I would tell my mother, every other day, I'm going to be a Marine. I told her so much, she was a boy, shut up, be quiet. But um, as luck would have it, I got into boxing and I kind of forgot about the Marine Corps because of boxing. You know, but I'm, I'm gonna have a lot of fun with acting. Right, and you have some certain projects going on right now. You said what project you're working on in acting right now? 
Graves and well, yeah. Graves and you know we did that show, so I think I think that should be coming out pretty soon. And you have some other stuff coming out that you can't say yet involving animated and all that stuff. So it's got to feel great, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. And I'm going to tell you something. I didn't know it was so difficult because you got to cut this. You gotta, I mean, there's a, a lot more stuff that goes with it, not just acting, you know. Yeah. It takes, takes three hours to do one, one shot. That's four or five seconds, you know. You have to pass the time, right? At time, yeah. figuring out, talking to guys, seeing different things on set and all those things. And Dr. Hall, just to kind of talk about that, when I would wait for a wrestling match, Dr. Hall, and I was a main event, I'd yeah. be waiting sometimes three or four hours backstage, kind of like what Bo had to do in boxing, but the difference is doing the take over and over and over again, Dr. Hall. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Incredible. here's something that is big news. Bo is making a comeback in boxing involving a celebrity boxing match. You cannot mention who he's going to fight, but is that true, Bo? Absolutely. It's true. And I think the fight is scripted for, I think, February sometime. I'm going to have a lot of fun. And whoever I'm fighting, it ain't going to be too much fun for them. Oh my goodness gracious! Wow, and uh, and you're preparing yourself already. You're already training for February, aren't you? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Actually, maybe a half an hour ago, we just got finished training for the day. That's awesome. And I think what? How excited are you to be getting back in the ring? It's got to be. Uh, you feel great. I'm very excited. I love boxing. I haven't done it in 20 years, so I, you know I can't wait. See, that sets us up, but we're going to talk also, you have a video game coming. You're going to be involved in the video game too, correct? Yes, sir, 100%. Awesome. All these unbelievable things are coming for the champ, Bo. Uh, Dr. Hall, what question you have for him that I'm going to challenge him here on my show? I want him in the ring, but Dr. Dr. Hall, one more question for Bo before I, I go you're and going, say you're how going to take a whooping too. Yeah. You're going to take a whooping too. No, I'm not taking you a whooping. You're going to be my new Joe Frazier. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Go ahead, Dr. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, Dr. Hall, with your last question for uh, Bo, and then I'm going to go and, and challenge him right here because, uh, and we'll have to have the wrestling match wherever he's located, and we'll get the promoters involved and everything. Go ahead, Dr. Hall. Uh, well, no problem. I better get your, your, your corner, Neil. Uh, you know, you might need a doctor, but uh, anyway. <laughs> I wanted to ask, uh, ask the champ, I wanted to ask, ask Bo. Um, uh, so um, what was your most exciting uh, a match like throughout your career? I mean, you had so many exciting matches. And what was the most exciting match well, for you? The, the first one I would have to say, Evander Holyfield, he was smart in boxing and he was very courageous. He took chances that you would think, a guy his size wouldn't take. So I think also five when it was fun. You didn't you didn't really know what was gonna take place with him. But then the fight went ahead who's that um uh, Jorge Luis Gonzalez. He was predictable, so I just exposed him. You know, I hit him with uppercut, left hook, right hand. He was just there for a little bit of everything. And, and plus, he, I was angry with him, so I'm just glad I didn't hurt him the way he couldn't recover. 
Absolutely. Wow. See, but see, Bo, you're not going to be able to do that in the wrestling ring. I got, I can, I, I can amateur style at 6'10, 300 pounds, and I can also hit you with a choke slam. I'm yeah. not the one you can smoke when you can slam, no. How about that? Yeah, okay. No, is it, I'll hit you the choke slam, maybe the big boot and my leg drop, or maybe I'll have to get the help from the doctor. And let me ask you a question. You doing all that, what do you think I'm going to be doing? I don't know. I'll be moving around you. Okay, and what, age are you, what, what, what age are you, Bo? And what age am I? I'm 48. We're about the same age, I'd say. We're about the same yeah. age, okay? Okay, 20 years out, you were out of the boxing ring. 20 years I've been out of the wrestling ring. So that's perfect. I retired 29, 29 years old in Bremen, Germany, and uh, then went on to uh, my entrepreneur career, my talk show host career. It's time to get back in the ring, and the only way to, is, is the spotlight needs to be on me, not you, Bo. People will be cheering for me, not you. Oh, because they're familiar with um, wrestling. You probably know better than... I don't know. I think they'll be cheering you, champ. Who knows? I was just playing on you. You got the millions and millions of fans. You're the champion. I'm you just in trouble then. I mean, you're going to be in trouble because I'm going to make the fans happy, man. No, yeah, you make them happy, but I might have a secret. I might have a secret on my hands. Yeah, I, know my secret is, I know what the secret is already. You're going to tap out. Oh, I'm going to tap out. Oh, no. Okay, so we've announced it here first. We'll have to hear it more coming up. A match between the heavyweight champion of the world, Riddick Bowe, and the seven-foot-time two, two, two heavyweight champion of the world and the seven-foot giant, Big Neil, the real seven deal. So nine. it's over. It's over because you're not going to be able to take on a seven-footer and the be able seven to seven-foot giant is about to be dealt with. You better get dealt with, man. Okay, we'll see. I'm we heard it for first. You just got to check out. You got to check out social media to see it. But Dr. Hall, close up with uh, summarizing uh, the champion, two-time heavyweight champion, Riddick Bell. Ah, no problem, no problem. Wow, so it's just been an exciting, exciting uh, session interview here with the champ. Um, you know, he's told us about uh, how he became the champ. He's told us about some custom boxing. Uh, that uh, that are important in life, and so wow, we're just very very excited to have uh, Bo, the champ, come by today. Thanks, champ. Hey, thanks a lot. Thanks for having and, me. And and guess what? We'll we're also know you're working on a book, but maybe you won't be there to be a, to have a book released because you'll be in the hospital after I take you out. Absolutely not. Me and yes, the yeah, I tell you. Okay, <laughs> I tell you right now. Get along. Okay, we'll see. We're gonna see. You really think it? We'll get this contract signed, and we'll have that match. I'll reach out to my promoters in pro wrestling, and we'll make this happen. Because again, I, I need to have a real spotlight. Tree. Yeah. Okay. We will see. Okay, champ. We'll see you. All right. All right. That was all right, guys. That was the Dr. Christopher Hall show. Take care. Please listen to the Forletta podcast. Larry Forletta, a retired DEA agent turned private investigator, will bring you true life stories on the war on drugs with some of the most infamous international drug traffickers of all time, to name a few, Pablo Escobar, Manuel Noriega, Joaquin Guzman, aka El Chapo, and other related real life crime stories such as Waco. For more information, please visit his website at www.fcisllc.com.
Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Mike Filardi Show. I'm excited to welcome to Mike Filardi. Mike, what's going on, man? How are you? Hey, great, Neil. How are you? Good, good. So let's kind of just jump into like just all the different topics that are happening. Because when you think about things happening in this country, it, let's just say you're on this, you're in the center. You're not Republican. You're not Democrat. You're an independent. What are their thoughts on this? Meaning you're seeing it absolutely when it was Trump doing his agenda. Now you're seeing Joe Biden do his agenda. And as an independent, what do you think independents are thinking after they've seen both of those extremes to the right and left now where we're at today? You're seeing that they're being, everyone's a lot poorer. That's right. what just happened. I just went out and bought a Biden mobile. Yeah. A Biden, you know what a Biden mobile is? What is that? It's a car that gets 40 miles to the gallon. I just bought an Avalon hybrid. What would you get rid of? I, I had my 2019 Camry, which was a great car, but I have 30, you know, I, I, I run up the miles. I had about 37,000 miles on it. And um, they had this on the lot and I made a deal. And now I get 41 to the gallon instead of 29. I picked up um, 12 miles to the gallon, over 12 miles to the gallon I picked up. And it doesn't hurt as much when I go to the gas station anymore, even though gas went over $3. And for the first time in seven years, we, we went over $75 a barrel for oil. So we've had, we now have the highest crude oil prices in seven years. And under Trump, they went negative for a while. I mean, it was unbelievable. Wow. We give the stuff away. So, so what, are you, what are you hearing from your independent friends about what's happened in the last well, 100 days? Well, everybody's noticing the inflation. Um, I have a friend of mine, I, I took her out to dinner. And we always go to the same place and we get a steak. It was $19.99. Last week, it was $29.99. went up $10. Okay. Oh my God. Now, why is that? The, first of all, the regulations that the Biden administration is putting on the beef industry, because, you know, AOC wants to get rid of cow flatulence. So, you know, slaughter a lot. You have a lot less cows. So um, they, they're, 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 you're going to notice tremendous price increases all over the place because of who's in power. Wow. And that's, and that's the sad reality. And I think whether you're independent or you're Republican or Democrat, you can't help but see it. Unless you're far, far left, like the AOCs of the world, they're the only ones who are really happy about this. Well, how can anybody be happy in all honesty? Unless you're super rich, right? I mean, I, I, the reason I traded in my car and got a new car was... I was spending what used to be $40 a week in gas, went to $75 a week in gas because I do a lot of driving. So now I'll be back to $40 a week in gas doing the same amount of driving because of the, of the amount of miles per gallon I get. Wow. Yeah, and that's just... It's huge. I mean, so you're saying it's almost, yeah, the aspirants have almost doubled already. And they're going to go up even further, right? Yeah, of course they are. They're not going to go down. I mean, they're not going down. Never. Okay. All right. So that's what's going on there, Mike. What about the whole situation with this new variant and the, again, the Indian variant coming here and now Fauci saying stuff and other people that you need to get your vaccine or else, but 
the vaccine might not keep you safe. Even Fauci said this to this new variant from India. Well, you know, it's funny. They had a guy on CNN who said, if you don't have the vaccine, you're in real trouble. You know, but the reality is the people that have gotten the vaccine have had all sorts of complications, all sorts of issues. I have a client, he lost his voice after he got the second shot. He's still not back to normal. I had a friend who I worked with on the drug task force when I was a Fed. Great guy, 65 years old. He got the second shot. The next day he died. Mm. I mean, you're talking about something that's the flu. That's all it is. It's a severe flu. That's what that's what COVID-19 is. If you take enough zinc, vitamin D, you got even ivermectin that works to 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 prevent it if you get it. You have hydrochloroquine. I mean, it, it's something that 99% of the people will survive. You had it. You got through it. Yeah. I mean, you're perfect. I shouldn't have to get vaccinated, which I'm not getting vaccinated, but that's, right. again, my, that's my choice. It's my body, my choice. Right. And you got the but, antibodies. But I mean, the thing is, they're saying now it's coming out that there are heart problems going yes. on for people who are... Uh, young who've taken the vaccine, older right. people, they don't go check out because of certain reasons. So, but the other problem is that they're saying even Fauci, it'll protect you more, but there's a chance it still could, might not work. So you need to wear your mask. So, and then what happens when the vaccine wears off of most of the people that are not, you know, uh, herd immunity, they're going to, have a better chance than the ones who didn't get vaccinated to be more in danger than the people that didn't get vaccinated. Right. Because they've gone out places like Florida and then looking at, but what can you do? Could they make it mandatory completely Mike by September, all kids going to schools will need to be vaccinated. No, they can't make it mandatory because it's not FDA approved. This is not an FDA approved vaccination. It is emergency use only. So there's no, there's no way that they might, well, they can do that. They haven't done enough testing. And matter of fact, if they do, they do, they do the sample test results, what are they going to show? They're going to show that there's issues with it, that a lot of people have died, that there's complications because they haven't done the testing. They don't know what's going to happen to you in three years. Darlene should be coming on, by the way. So okay, just- sure. We'll just kind of talk to whatever we talk in the yeah. processes we're getting here on the Mike Velarde show. Right, exactly. But, but see, but I just, I don't know, Mike. The thing I'm saying is they could make it very difficult. Yes, they could. They could shut us down again in certain states. Yeah. They could shut the travel down again, which yeah. they're already doing in California. Certain states you're not allowed to travel in if you're in California. Well, that's 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 where you see the real division between Republican-run states and Democratic-run states. Democrats want total control. So you look at New York, you look at uh, California. Perfect examples. So where do you see things going? Could they make it? So do do we expect another shutdown in September? Do you think we're going to have full football stadiums in September or not? Well, do you do you remember when we had? Um, <clears throat> Sherry Tampenny on the show? Yeah. What did she say? They're expecting the vaccinated people are going to all take a big hit come, come the fall. That's what it was designed to do. So they're going to put out panic. That's how the Democratic Party works. It's all about fear and panic. It's already on CNN, so you know it's coming. Right. 
If right. it's on PBS, right. CNN, it's coming. It's coming hard and heavy. And it's, right. again, it's no fault because other countries are literally a lot more stringent. Canada, for example, have still not opened up at all. Right. The UK semi-opened up, but not to the level of the United States. Same with when you talk about even uh, other countries. They are not fully opened up. Now, their economies are struggling. They're in terrible shape. Do you think Joe Biden's going to follow or just let the states do it? Because Joe is there just to be Joe. Well, look at Joe Biden. This is a guy who, when he was inaugurated, said he wanted to work with the other side. How does he work with the other side? Tell me. He's done probably pork bills with certain Republicans that don't agree, right? The ones that are non-Republican. He's trying to ram their agenda, the leftist agenda, down everybody's throat. He's not about building consensus. He's about trying to do as much damage as possibly as, as possible in the short time that he has. Joe Biden realizes he, he said it himself on October 26th of 2020, Joe Biden said, I built the, great, the greatest voter fraud organization since Barack Obama. He knows he's not a legitimate president. He knows what he did. He wants to do everything possible before he gets caught. And he will get caught because the evidence is overwhelming. That's coming forward. Really have, coming forward. Still that's still a shot. Let me tell you something. They have what's called uh, pocket 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 snaps, or it's it's a when the computer takes a picture in time and it's not disputable. It's like you take a picture and you date it and you you know the time, the date. Just on your phone, right? If you take a picture on your phone and you go to court, right, they can prove that that's when the picture took place. Wow. Well, they have this of, of, the, of the votes. And you see that at 12.02 p.m., you know, at 12.02 a.m. In, in the morning after the, you know, that Mr. Mr. Trump had 650,000 votes. Mr. Biden had 250, and all of a sudden Trump had 600,000 five minutes later, and Biden has 300. So 50,000 votes got switched in an instant. Right. Okay? And that, that's fraud. And when you go back and you do what you're doing in Arizona, and you start saying, okay, let's, let's count these votes. Let's see what was right. Was the original count right over here, or two, was it right two minutes later? Right. And you're going to find that those Trump votes got switched. And so Biden didn't win Georgia. He didn't, he didn't win Michigan. He didn't win Wisconsin. He didn't win Arizona. He didn't win Pennsylvania. I mean, there's, there's six states that there's enough. So could they really turn the election this late? No. Well, let's say it was a congressional election, like I ran for Congress, okay? Oh, Darlene is here, by the way. Yeah, so we'll just wait and Darlene just she's trying to connect, so let's keep okay. talking and just all right. We'll just so, introduce her and let her have the floor. So I ran for Congress, and let's say I I won fraudulently, right. and I got caught. Right? Would they remove me from my office? No, they would have to. Yeah, they could. Yeah. Well, they, they would. then they would remove him, but they wouldn't. Yeah. Then there would be a, another runoff, right? No, it wouldn't be a runoff. I mean, Trump would be president again. He he would. He, they'd have to. They'd have to arrest. The, the fraudulent candidate, especially when he, he told us that he had knowledge of what he did beforehand. And he's on film. He did it. He, he, he told the whole world. He didn't he was throwing him a liberal group. He didn't realize, I mean, he's not smart enough to realize that you're on candid camera and anyone's going to get that later on. 
it's not going to stay within your small group. So, all right. So introduce our guest, Mike, and we'll just go with her for about seven minutes. I'll talk okay. with Darlene. Go ahead. My friend Darlene is running for Congress in the 22nd district of, of, of Florida. She's a staunch conservative, a great candidate and a good friend. Darlene, welcome to the show. Darlene, unmute, please. Oh, yeah, you're on mute, Darlene. You got to unmute yourself. So Darlene's unleaving, and there we go. Mm -hmm. and she, um, can you hear me now? Yeah, we yes, can. We so can hear you awesome. Had some technical issues. I apologize. Well, we're glad to have you on the show. We love the background. Those mountains look tremendous in the background there. Thank you. Um, yeah, so I'm in my room. So thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yes, my name is Darlene Swaffer. I'm running for Congress. I filed in Florida District 22. However, uh, Florida is going to be districting right now. So we're, we are weighing our options. And one of the races that we are considering is perhaps a primary against Maria Salazar in District 27. She was named as one of Trump's wayward Republicans. There's uh, 35 Republicans that he called wayward Republicans who are voting against Republican policies. So that could be one race I'm considering. That's interesting. What, what may, what, when did you start to consider that, Darlene? I, I started to consider it when Maria Salazar voted uh, against one of her colleagues, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, to strip her of her committees. I also considered it when she voted for the PRO Act bill, giving more control to the unions, when she voted against um, or rather for a bill that would be against our Second Amendment rights and when she voted for the January 6th commission. Um, so when you add all that together, so far her voting record is voting alongside with Democrats. And her and Jimenez have talked about uh, running away from socialism, but according to her actions, she's kind of running with socialism. Hmm. Interesting. And, and so there's sometimes people, Darlene, out there that say they're a certain cause, right. but really they're not. They're just doing it to get into office and then do their own agenda. Right. And so if you call yourself a Republican, why would you be voting for legislation that further impedes our Second Amendment rights? I mean, that to me was probably the biggest concern I had when she was voting in that direction. All right. Well, fantastic. Mike, uh, well, darling, where's the best place we can connect with you? Where can we go? Yeah, I, you can go to my website, swaffer4congress.com. That's S-W-A-F-F-A-R-F-O-R, congress.com. Uh, today, I'm at the Doug Billings, uh, the Right Side Show, Determined Patriot Conference in Branson, Missouri. I did a presentation on um, socialism, where, you know, where it came from and where we are today and why you know, the method of socialism is playing out in real time and what we can do as patriots to take back our country. And it's all about the uh, precinct strategy, everyone getting involved, becoming committee men and committee women, uh, name, you know, getting named as precinct captains, holding monthly meetings, right. um, getting the ground game in order so that we can have 100% uh, voter engagement, similar to what Dan Schultz is doing in Arizona, we need to do that nationwide. And I do believe with that strategy, we'll be able to take back our country. Awesome. Okay. Mike, you're connected to you. MikeLardyBooks.com, yeah. right? And Winning Tax Solutions. Winning Mike. Tax Solutions. Commercial out yet? Nope. It'll be on next couple of weeks. Couple yeah, of send weeks. it to me, so I'll put it on your Twitter, okay? Absolutely. All right. All right, guys. Appreciate it. That was the Mike Velarde Show. Take care, guys.
Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Light and Morning Podcast. I'm excited to welcome the program, the host, Margo Lemmark. Margo, how are you? What's going on? I'm great, Neil. It's so nice to talk to you. I'm actually in Pinehurst, so I've come to hotter weather. I'm used to the mountains where it's nice and cool, and I've come down to a conference, and it's about 90 degrees. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So so some golf for you if it's Pinehurst? No, I'm, no, I'm not going to golf. I'm probably going to spa. <laughs> hey, that, definitely you're going to. That's awesome. Yeah. And that's that's the uh, the privileges of hard work as a real estate broker. That's exactly, exactly. right. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, for sure. So we're going to go cover another chapter. So what chapter are we going to talk about today? Well, let's talk about the next chapter, which is the chapter about my mother. Okay. Because it, it, it became, I mean, it was really, I think it's one of the most important chapters in the book because it has to do with resolve, which is one of the most important things we need to do. And it was what, it was the hardest chapter to write. It, it, it's, um, it delayed my book by about three years <laughs> to write that chapter. It was really, really different. It was hard to do. It's so true because it's like, because that one is anybody that's a loved one that you've dealt with your whole life. You just have so many memories and to really kind of hone into one chapter. That's challenging. It was challenging because my mother and I had such a, we had kind of a cat fight relationship growing up. And so there was so much pain for me and it, it was a great relationship. It was very close in so many ways, but because she was an alcoholic, it also created a lot of pain. And so it was hard for me to go back and create all that pain from when I was young to then allow the reader to realize the amount of resolve that took place. You know what I mean? It was a big transition, a big arc there. And so that was a hard chapter to write, but I had to write it. It had to be included because it's, I think, one of the most important chapters because of the message. It's the definite message. You're so right about that because uh, when you find out what you learn about in your challenges in life, especially dealing with someone who's an alcoholic or is abusive in some sort of way, it makes you stronger, yet it's very hard to go back to those days because yes. we, we, for sure, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know what, Neil, the most important thing we can do is what she taught me uh, right before she died. Um, of course, I didn't know she was going to die. I did not know this is the last time I was going to see my mother. And I was in my early 20s, and I was driving her somewhere. And in the car on the way, she started remembering things the way she had hurt me and she'd say margo i'm so sorry i did this and and i'd start crying and she'd cry and then we'd start laughing because we remember something else about it you know and then she'd say and i know i really hurt you when i did this and then she'd bring up another memory and it was incredible it was a 45 minute drive and in those 45 minutes we resolved our entire relationship that that is unheard of it's just incredible and when she died, of course, I was very sad when I heard the news a week later that she had died. Um, and so sorry to lose my mother, and I cried so hard. But you know what? I never cried again. And the reason why is because I had the pain of losing my mother, but I didn't have the pain of regret 
And that is one of the biggest pains of death. And I realized that, that you, there's a pain when someone dies, if you have unresolved things or wish you had said something to them, wish you had told them you loved them, wish you hadn't yelled at them the last time you saw them, not knowing it would be the last time. All of that regret is something you cannot go back and undo. You can't. It's gone. It's over. That time has passed. And that regret is so hard to live with. And so my mother gave me the the gift of resolve. And ever since she died, I have resolved every single relationship in my life. It's become a priority. If there's some misunderstanding, I go back to that person and explain that that was a misunderstanding or I resolve it or I'm sorry or whatever. And I just make sure that all my relationships are clean. <laughs> They're just clean and clear. There is no, there's nothing that I would regret if I never saw that person again. And, and that's true uh, because you never know when it's going to happen. And you, you could never have, know. And, and basically we have the ups and downs in life and a lot of us just aren't able to deal with life and it's sad. And we, yeah. and at times, especially when everything hits you, what do you think about everybody else? You become selfish. And I think we mm -hmm. all in life become selfish in certain ways. And we also kind of grow in certain ways where we're mm -hmm. willing to put up with, you know, the, the crap, but now, now it's like, forget it. I can't deal with this anymore. And that does lead to hurt and does lead to pain for certain people. But you have to, at one point, understand that, but you're right about you know, cherishing the time you have with your loved ones now because you never know well, and, when it can end. Yeah. Right. And clearing it up. Don't have those leftover things. Don't have things that you regret with somebody. If there's a misunderstanding, go clear it up. I, I will drive to somebody's house at 10 o'clock at night if I think there's a misunderstanding because I think it is so important to have that resolved. And, you know, I just know that when someone dies and you can't go back to them and clean it up and tell them how you really felt that pain is the worst pain of death it's it's almost it's haunting you know you're you're sad because the person died but that leaves you with this haunted feeling of you'll never be able to resolve that because that person's gone so i think the chapter in my book on resolving relationships is one of the most important chapters and it certainly changed how I live my life because I don't let anything go unresolved anymore. I, I just don't ever since then. So I was lucky to learn it when I was young. Very, because that's the thing. You've learned a lot of things, Margo, when you were younger because of just being open to it. Now, do you, mm -hmm. you know, I think about when you, the way you look at things when your mom passed and different things, do you learn those things, especially as your father being an undertaker. I mean, that really, he, you had to have seen death so much visiting and seeing these things that you had a different point to understanding it because you saw it so much. Probably, yeah. I, I was very comfortable with death. I mean, and not, not that I'm not sad about death. You read my book and you'll see I just almost died every time somebody died. It was so sad. But it, it gave me a comfort talking about it and dealing with it. And I saw how my father dealt with grieving people and how important it was to grieve. I'd see him work through it with people and people would actually leave feeling more lighthearted and felt just a little bit better after talking to him. So, yeah, I, I would say that growing up around it helped me um, see things differently when people die. Definitely. And in this, when you see people, that's so true because 
when that happens, you say, okay, but you see what they go through and to remember that loved one forever. And what do you think of all kind of summarizing it, looking back, writing the chapter in the book about your mom, do you most, would you most learn from writing that chapter? Simply to resolve relationships because when she died and I experienced the pain of her death, I didn't have any pain of regret. And I can tell you for sure, I would have had a lifetime of regret had my mother not resolved everything with me. I would have had to live with all the pain she inflicted, all all of the scars from that for the rest of my life. And I don't know how I, how I would have dealt with it. But what she did is resolve everything with me. And she taught me how to resolve everything. And that that's that's it right there. And that is one of the biggest lessons or one of the biggest things for us to learn to do in our life. And we'd be all better people if we could resolve the relationships that we have and resolve any misunderstanding that we have with people. Let it go. Resolve it. Absolutely. Because at times you just have to let go. And mm-hmm. uh what about with challenges in life? How do you kind of look at challenges? Like let's talk about, and I kind of want to deal with that. Look at that, even though this is not the chapter, but it seems like your motivation to kind of close out. If we are going through challenges, things that aren't going our way, can we look to something or is this just part of life? And we have to, to just be resolute to that was a bad day or a couple bad things happened. How can I come back from that? Because you're big about, positivity but also a comeback how Mm -hmm. to get through the challenges what do you say to people now that are still struggling even though covid's over uh they're still struggling they're struggling to understand what's happening in life how to get back to normal different things or they really had some bad bumps in the road that they never expected how Mm -hmm. do you overcome those things Well, first of all, I think you have to look at challenges, as you say, as part of life, but they're also a gift. If we didn't have something to learn from that challenge, we wouldn't have had the challenge. And it's as simple as that, because if we were perfect beings, we wouldn't need to be on the planet. And so challenges come up to us as a mirror for us so that we can look at ourselves. We can look at how we are dealing with things. Whatever whatever that mirror shows you is what you need to learn and how to deal with situations like that in life. And so challenges are gifts. I, I've had major challenges in my life. And in the end, when I get through it, I look back and I thank the challenge. I thank the challenge. It sounds crazy, but it made me a bigger, better person because there is a solution out there for everything. There is, but we just have to grow our awareness. We just have to make our awareness bigger so that we can encompass and we can find that solution for it. So challenges in life force us to grow. And that's why we're here. We're here to learn and to grow. See, and that's, uh, Great final message. People can go to your website right now to purchase the book. Isn't that correct? Yes, absolutely. You can go to lightinthemorning.com. You can go to Amazon and look for uh, Light in the Morning, Memoirs of an Undertaker's Daughter, and it's all in there. And definitely the website's the best place because you can see all the different information that's available there about Margot, about this uh, one time with the TikTok virality of a video, all those things at Light in the Morning. Com and uh, always remember to go ahead, like, and share this podcast and subscribe to the Light and Morning Podcast. Appreciate you coming by, Margo, and we'll talk again next week. 
Wonderful. Thank you so much, Neil. You have a great day and keep everything resolved. You too. All right. That was the Light in the Morning podcast. Take care. 